Thank you for listening to the Cathedral Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. Last Sunday, we, we preached a message that we entitled, A Touch of Heaven, Part 1. So this morning, I'd like to pick up where I left off last week, but for just a minute, let me go back and let me highlight a few things to bring everyone that wasn't here up to speed. We understand that over the last few years, because of crisis moments, we've picked up new phrases. 500-year flood, social distancing, I can't breathe. We know that Americans are among the most stressed people in the world. The fact is, the stress level is rising. Psalms 55, David said, I say to myself, if only I could fly away from all of this. If only I could run away to the place of rest and peace. David acknowledged the fact that he was in a stressful moment. And he was looking for a way of escape. He was looking for a pathway to that place of rest and peace. Here recently I've heard people say heaven is looking better. And we all feel that way. Heaven is looking better every day. But last week or the week before last, Holy Spirit began to deal with me that I can't take you to heaven. I really wish I could in the sense of gathering up my family and friends and somehow take you to that place of rest and peace just to get a brief moment, a reprieve, just a reprieve to where I can catch my breath. But the fact is, I can't do that. But just perhaps, in services like this, we can bring heaven to you. So I can't take you there, but just perhaps I can bring there here. That's why church is essential. That's why worship is so important. Because we all need just a little heaven, a reprieve. Our longing for heaven comes from the fact that we were made for another world. And you need to know that. The reason you get frustrated on planet Earth is because you were made for another world. You were made for a better world. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tells us that we carry within us the sense of eternity. That's why... We all feel that we will live forever because we will. Made for a better world. That's you and me. We took our text out of Genesis chapter 28. This is the story of Jacob, Bethel, the dream, angels, and a profound truth that Jacob found a ladder. This experience caused caused him to anoint that place and call it Bethel, which means the house of God. So in the house of God, Jacob found a ladder. But let's just pick up two verses. We won't read the entire story, but Genesis 28, verse 16 and 17. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't even know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. Let's title this A Touch of Heaven. 
Last week, I spoke to you about heaven, a dimension of reality. I won't linger there, but let me just remind you that God's presence is not contingent upon your physical senses or circumstances. In the midst of Harvey, Imelda, pandemic, God is still with you. His presence is not contingent upon your circumstances or the way you feel in that moment. Jacob said, this is the house of the Lord. God was here and I didn't even know it. There's never been a time when you were alone. The good, the bad, and the ugly, God was always with you in the midst of all of that. Number two, we talked about this dimension, how that our dimension of time and heaven's dimension of eternity can overlap. We saw that on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus, Peter, James, and John, suddenly Jesus was able to reach past the veil that separates time and eternity And he reached into heaven and pulled that reality into this moment. And the Bible says he was transfigured. He was transformed. He changed right in front of them. Where the dimension of of eternity and the dimension of time overlaps. Scientists say that the universe has at least 10 dimensions we as Christians understand. We understand the dimension of time and we understand the dimension of eternity and how they do overlap. We talked about the therapeutic presence of God, how that God's presence is therapeutic. As in the medical field, they're teaching this now. When a nurse goes into a room to treat a patient, don't go in there just with facts and information, but go in there and be present in the moment, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and cognitively. Be there in every way, because in that moment, if you bring everything to the table, you bring comfort and healing to that patient, and that's what the medical field is teaching, therapeutic presence. We understand when we come into the house of God and there's worship, there's the word, and there's an altar experience, that presence is therapeutic. It brings healing and wholeness to a person's life. The word glory, kabod, it means the heaviness of God, where God's presence lays upon you like a comforter. And he tucks you in and he kisses you on the forehead. And the presence of God ministers to you. This is the place that David said, all that I could fly to, run to this place of rest and peace. He was longing for the presence of God. And here today, If you can just find that place, if you can step into that circle, if you can get in to that presence, you'll find the place, the realm of rest. With that said, let me pick up and move on. Let me talk to you about heaven's ladder. I want to give you an eternal perspective. In verse 17, the first part, we read, and he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? Point number four in this two-part series. The sons of God should live with heaven's point of view. You have to live from that point of view. Looking at Hurricane Rita, Hurricane Ike, Harvey, Imelda, pandemic, race, uh, uh, the, the, the conflict now with uh, the races right now, the protesting, 
the, the friction between citizens and law enforcement, with everything that we're seeing right now, you have to look at this from an eternal perspective. You're the sons of God. Look at Jacob's experience. The word afraid here, he said, I was afraid. The word afraid there means to be frightened. Terrible things. You're frightened of terrible acts that are happening. You're dreadful. And right now, as we turn on our news every evening, it's like prophecy is, being, uh, is unfolding in front of us. As we read uh, Matthew 24, pestilence and plagues, earthquakes, and nation against nation or race against race. We're seeing prophecy unfold in front of us, and many people this morning are afraid. But then Jacob shifted, and he said, wow, this place is awesome. The word awesome there in the Hebrew means reverence, to stand in awe of. It is possible to be afraid of terrible acts that are happening around you, and yet come into this house and step into that awesome moment where you have reverence and you stand in awe of God's presence and God's glory. Matthew chapter 14, verse 30. But he saw that the wind was boisterous, and he was afraid, and beginning to think, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. This was Peter, his experience crossing the Sea of Galilee. They get halfway, which is about three and a half miles. They're in the boat. Uh, things are going bad real quick. Suddenly, Jesus comes walking on the water. Now, they were terrified, or they were afraid, uh, they thought he was a ghost, which actually means a water ghost. Uh, they believed in water ghosts back then, and they thought Jesus was a water ghost that had been raised up out of the Sea of Galilee, and they were afraid. But Peter recognized this, and he said, this is Jesus. And he said, let me come out there to you. And he got out of the boat. He began to walk on the water, but then he began to sink. He began to be, uh, the, the, the gravitational pull of his circumstances began to pull him down. For a brief moment, he had that dimensional overlap where he reached into the dimension of eternity and he pulled it into time, but then he got his eyes off of Jesus and he began to succumb to his circumstances and began to sink. But we talked about this years ago and I, there were three lessons of the storm that I gave you. Number one, boats sink when the situation on the outside gets in on the inside. So keep the hurricanes on the outside. Keep the pandemic on the outside. Keep the stock market on the outside. Keep the economic crisis on the outside. Keep the conflict on the outside. Because when you let that stuff on the outside get on the inside, your boat is going to start sinking. you got to protect yourself. Number two, learn to focus on the solution more than the problem. When you get your eyes off of Jesus and you get your eyes on your problem, you're going to get in trouble. Pray the answer more than you do the problem. I, I, I go before God and I'll let him know, look, I've got some stuff going on. But then I try to shift and pray in the answer, declare in the answer. Be careful with the words of your mouth. Number three, everything that's over your head is under his feet. You say the hurricanes are over my head. The pandemic is over my head. The economics are over my head. I get that. But everything that's over your head is under his feet. He can handle it. So when the circumstances begin to pull you down, put your eyes back on Jesus. And I promise you, you will rise above your circumstances. These are the lessons of the storm that we've taught you through the years. You have to know that when the storm overwhelms you, though, and you're sinking in your circumstances, you can climb Jacob's ladder and take heaven's point of view. So as it begins to pull you down, like Peter, find Jacob's ladder. 
When things begin to overwhelm you, find Jacob's ladder. When you begin to sink into your circumstances, find Jacob's ladder and you can rise up and suddenly you can take heaven's point of view and that is what you and I both need. Tell and turn, tell and turn, tell, tell and turn. Turn and tell somebody, find the ladder. Turn and tell somebody, find the ladder. You got to find the ladder. Jacob discovered a ladder in the house of God. It is possible for us to gather in this sanctuary, to gather online, and for some to find the ladder and some not. Jacob said, I was in the house of God. God was there and I didn't even know it. It's possible. It's possible to be here and yet not even know it. To be here in the presence of the ecclesia and not even know that there's a ladder. There's a ladder to the presence of God. There's a ladder to an eternal perspective. There's a ladder. You can climb it. Jacob climbed out of his circumstances. He got back on top because he found Jacob's ladder. And you have to know that right now, and I understand we're all, listen, we're all very frustrated. Just the thought of us having to shut down again and go back into a uh, stay home, work safe order, it's just too much. I, I need, we need the economy to open up. We need the nation to open up. And yet I'm trying to and yet, I understand that we need to be safe and we need to be responsible and we need to be careful because I know people personally that have the COVID-19. I've seen people locally pass away from it. We've lost lives. And so, I know I want to be safe and I want to be responsible, but we have to find a pathway forward. And I have to just remind myself in the midst of all this, and trying to deal with the pandemic uh, since May the 25th with the tragic death of George Floyd in Minneapolis and with the, the protest across the nation and, and, and trying to work in the community and, and bring people to the table so we can have dialogue and we can move forward. Trying to understand before I'm understood. Trying to understand my brother, black, white, or brown, or law enforcement. Trying to understand their perspective and trying to work together and move our nation forward. In the midst of all this and the frustration and the economics and, and then concerned about my family, my church family, and the community. In the midst of all this, I have to constantly remind myself that the Christ within me is greater than the storm without. The Christ within me is greater. And I have to constantly remind myself that in my church, in my home, in my home, in my private time, that there is a ladder, Jacob's ladder. I find it in my house. I find it in my prayer time. I find it here in the church on Saturday night. I find it here on Sunday morning. I can climb that ladder. And I can take a different perspective. Suddenly, the pandemic is below me. Suddenly, 
the hurricane season is below me. Suddenly, the economics are below me. Suddenly, down there, I was suffocating. Down there, I was drowning. Down there, the gravitational pull of my circumstances were pulling me down. Down there, down there, the circumstances were greater than me. But up here, the Christ within me is greater than the storm without. Up here, everything comes back into its right perspective. Everything that I'm looking at right now, suddenly those things look small to me. In comparison to my God, my Christ, the presence of God, the anointing, heaven, in comparison to heaven, the earth gets really small. In the house of God, wherever you are, in your home, your car, or in your church, there is a ladder. Let's look at this verse 17 again, the last part of it. Jacob said, <laughs> I was afraid of the circumstances, but man, suddenly I saw how awesome God is. And then he said, wow, you so, you know, this is the house of God. And in this house, there is a gate, a point of divine access. So my fifth point You have to remember the hostess gift of etiquette, protocol. As a grateful attendee, you should show your appreciation for the invitation to the hostess's home by bringing a gift. Now, this is probably a, a dying practice, but my generation, the one before me, especially, we, when we received an invitation to someone's home for an evening, it was protocol, etiquette, to bring a gift, to show up to the door with a gift and to say, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you for opening your home to me. Thank you for opening up your private world. Thank you for letting me come in to your home and see your family pictures and, and, and your home and the furniture and, and, and the artwork and the way you decorate because all of that is very personal. It's, it can be very private to people. It, it's an expression of who they are. So you, you understand protocol. So when you go into somebody's home, you bring a gift and you don't put the feet on the coffee table or put your feet up on the couch. You respect their home, you follow protocol, you follow what's etiquette, you know how to conduct yourself. Psalms 100, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Interesting. When you come into the house of God, he said, come in with thanksgiving. The word thanksgiving is, uh, it means there in the Hebrew, uh, an extension of the hand Adoration, a confession of thanksgiving. The word praise there in the, in the Hebrew means laudation or commendation. To be clear of sound, to boast, and thus to be clamorous foolishly, to act like a madman. The word bless there means to kneel and to adore. So the psalmist tells us that when you enter the gate into the house of God, bring a gift. 
bring the gift of thanksgiving and say, Father, thank you. Begin to praise, open your mouth, laudation, to make a clear sound, boasting, and thus to be, in essence, just foolish and act like a madman. It's called first love. It's called uh, just the, the height. It talked about in Revelation, remember the height from which you have fallen and return to your first love. It's how you act silly and you act foolishly when you're in love. It's the intoxication of love. That's why you watch people that come up front. And some people will, will dance. Some people will jump. Some people will kneel. Some people will just stand with their hands raised. Some people will weep. Some people will laugh. But there are different expressions. And we're not calling for one expression over another. But you do need to express yourself. And we have to remember that we serve a God that is a speaking God. In the beginning, God said, let there be, and there was. He speaks. We understand the power of the word. We understand uh, how we, we create with our words or we can curse with our words. We understand that. And so you have to get past this thing of just being silent. You've got to open your mouth and make a sound. You've got to learn to praise him. You've got to learn to sing. You've got to learn to speak out. As I told you last week, I believe it was, at the end of John, Galilee, last, that, 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 not the last supper, but that last meal Jesus was having with Peter on the Sea of Galilee. He's cooking up some fish, and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? He says, you know I love you, Lord. Then he asked him again, and then again, three times, he kept asking him, do you love me? And my point is this, that God knows everything. He's up omniscient. He's omnipotent. He is awesome. He is great. He knows everything. He's omniscient. And yet God still needs to hear you and me say it. You got to say it. I love you. I appreciate you. I worship you. So I'm trying to get up in your comfort zone and just kind of stretch you a little bit. You need to understand raising hands is biblical. You need to understand opening your mouth and singing out is biblical. You need to understand worshiping at times, even in a way that looks foolish is biblical. So don't criticize people that you see come up front and that are a little bit more demonstrative than you are. You've just got to say that's their way of expressing themselves and you've got to respect that, but just know it's biblical. Thanksgiving, praise, to bless, to kneel before him, to adore him. You have to understand the law of reaping and sowing. Reaping and sowing. You must first bless in order to be blessed. He said when you come in, thanksgiving, praise, and bless. So when you come to the house of God, it's only a protocol that you and I follow, etiquette, protocol. And we come in and we say, Father, thank you for what you've done in my life. Father, I praise you. You're bigger than the pandemic. You're bigger than hurricane season. Everything that's over my head is under your feet. Let the stock market rise. Let the stock market fall. You're Jehovah Jireh to me. You are my provider. And Father, I love you. I worship you. Thank you 
for saving me. Thank you for filling me with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of what you're doing. I'm partnering with you and I'm privileged. Thank you for my family. Thank you. Thank you, Father. I adore you. You mean more to me than this entire world and all that it has to offer. Guys, listen. He, he wants you to worship Jesus and all that he represents. Not because God is egotistical, but because he knows you, whatever you worship, you will become. If you worship mammon, that's what you become. If you worship this world, that's what you become. But if you worship Jesus and all that he represents, think of Jesus and all that he represents. Think of Jesus and all that he is. Think of Jesus and all that he did on planet Earth. Think of Jesus and his nature, his character, who he is, what he did, how he did it. Think of Jesus. Think of Jesus. Remember, you're being molded and shaped and conformed into the image of Jesus. He's trying to take you to that perfect man, that image, and he knows that you become whatever you worship. That's why you cannot allow any throne any or anything to sit on the throne of your heart other than Jesus. You can't let pleasure, you can't let fame and fortune, you can't let anything get on the throne of your heart because you will become. Listen, you get caught, listen, you know this. If you get caught up in pornography, you'll become a pervert. God knows that. He's trying to keep you away from that perversion. That's why he tells you don't do that. It's not because he's against sex and pleasure. He wants you to do it within the confines of marriage so you can stay healthy and whole and righteous and good. But when you step outside of those things, it will pervert you. You become what you worship. We're always looking at God. He's trying to keep things from us. He's only trying to keep you whole. That's why he doesn't want mammon to get on the throne of your heart. Because you'll become greedy. And there's no slating the thirst of greed. You'll take and take and take until eventually you destroy yourself. There's no end to that. No end to that. That's why we have to protect our hearts. He knows whatever we worship, that is what we become. So worship Jesus. Adore him. Give him your love and your passion and your heart. How many comes to church and you come in, you think, oh man, I need a blessing today. Come on. Okay, I'm the only one. Me and I heard a sister back here somewhere. I come to church and I'm thinking, Lord, bless me. Let me give you the key to being blessed, be a blessing. You want God to bless you, bless him. Father, I thank you. You've been so good to me. And I adore you. And when you present a gift, etiquette, to the hostess, a gift of a blessing, he'll bless you. This scripture in Psalms I read said, when you come into the house of God, bless God. When was the last time we thought about, I'm going to church today because I'm going to go bless the Lord. 
we drag ourselves out of bed, we reluctantly get dressed, we get in our car, we drive to the church and come in here and, oh man, I, you know, we just, we come in here, I, I hope they sing the song I like today and I hope pastor doesn't preach too long and man, I just, I just, I just, man, I need something. I need something, man. Come on, God. Come on, I need something today. And that's, I get that. We all do that. But when was the last time we got up and said, you know what? I'm going to the house of the Lord today and I'm going to be a blessing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to church. Why are you going to church today? Because I want to bless the Lord. Have we ever come to church thinking our Lord needs a blessing? As the children of the house, have we ever come in here thinking that our Father needs to be blessed? Have we ever come to church thinking, you know what? I'm not going to get today. I'm just going to give. I, I'm just going. But you know, I've, I've discovered something about my father. He can't help himself. He just cannot. For God so loved the world that he could not help himself. Listen, I'm telling you, if you'll come in here with an attitude of, I'm not going to get, I'm going to give. I'm not going to be blessed, I'm going to bless. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to bless my father. He don't have to do a thing for me. I'm telling you, you come in there with that attitude, he can't help himself. He will bless you. He'll bless you. He'll do it. I do it all the time with my grandchildren. You do it with yours. All the time. They can throw you a birthday party. And it's, it's supposed to be about you, but it's really for them. Let them blow out the candles. Let them eat the cake. Let them open your gifts. Let them. Because the grandfather gets pleasure in seeing the grandchildren. So my father looks past his son, sees his grandson, and he takes pleasure in seeing me come into the house and I came to bless him. And he says, okay, that, that's so good. But I'm going to bless you today, son. You blow out the candles. You, here, here, you eat the cake. Here, you open my gifts. That's my father. Deuteronomy 16, three times a year, all your mail shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which, is, which he chooses. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Weeks, Tabernacles. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Three times a year, three times, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. The males of Israel had to go to Jerusalem. Not a choice. You better go. Had to go, but they were told not to come empty-handed. People often leave the house of God empty-handed because they came empty-handed. If we would come with a blessing, we could leave with a blessing. It's the law of reaping and sowing. Psalms 100. You can pass through his open gates with the password of praise. Is that what you read up there? Read it. You can pass through his open gates with the password of praise. The gates are open. You come in and sit here. I can come in and sit here and never get a thing because we didn't use the password. The password isn't to open the gates. The gates are open. The password is to release the blessing. The password to the blessing is praise. We come to church and we sit down. I do it. I'm not fussing at you. I'm talking about humanity. I come in and sit down and I've done it in churches before and I'm thinking, well, I don't care a thing about this song. God, get off of that thing. I don't, I don't get a thing he's saying. I don't get it. I, and then I start thinking, where are we going to eat lunch today? 
That's normal. We all do that. I'm in the building, but I'm not in the presence because I didn't use the password. If you go into a service and you say, well, I don't feel God, maybe it's because you're not using the right password. The password of praise. Without the correct password, you can be in the building and never truly pass through that gate into his, his dimension of eternity. When you're invited to the house of God, don't forget to follow etiquette. My last point, I got seven minutes. Can you take it? Take a deep breath. Number six. Last, last point. Gates are the place of decision and transition from one dimension to another. You know that. The meaning of the gate, point of access, the appropriate point of entrance. Jesus said, if you try to go in any other way other than through Jesus, you're a thief and a robber. So you got to go through the gate. You got to go through the password. You got to do it the way God said. It's the point of authority and security. The elders used to sit at the gate of the city and um, they would uh, make decisions there. Uh, it's the point of entrance, and so they would guard it carefully. Uh, it's a place of transition. You transition from one environment to another environment. When you go through a gate in a fence, it's like you're going from the street into the front yard or from the front yard to the backyard. It's a place of transition. Genesis 22, your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies is what God told, uh, told Israel. Okay, he told, he told them you're going to possess the gate of your enemies. So the point is, he who controls the gate controls the city and its treasures. Psalms 22, 3. But you are holy, enthroned, and the praises of Israel. Okay? So let me pause real quick what we just said. The gates are the places of decision and transition from one dimension to another. Point of access. It's a place of authority. It's a place of transition. And if you control the gate, you can control your enemy. He who controls the gate controls the city. He, he who controls the gate controls the treasures of the city. How many would like to control Beaumont in a good way? I mean, we want to impact Beaumont. How many would love to transform Beaumont? You've got to sit at the gate. You've got to control the gate. We know this. But notice what he said here in Psalms 22. You are enthroned by our password praise. The word enthroned means to sit down specifically as a judge and ambush or in quiet. So when we enthrone him, when we lift him up, we're setting him up on a seat of authority and he's waiting to ambush our enemy. By the praises of the ecclesia, God's authority is established in this dimension, creating a throne zone where he waits quietly to ambush the enemy. So within the house of the Lord is the gate of heaven and its password is praise. So in here, guys, if we'll come in here, understanding that in the house of God, okay, there is a throne, excuse me, there is a ladder whereby we can ascend uh, eternal perspective. We can get above our circumstances. We can rise above it. If we'll understand that, we can be blessed by being a blessing. If we understand that in here is a gate, the gate of heaven, it gives us access, it's a point of transition, it's a place of decision, it's a place of authority and security. If we will possess this gate, if we will take our place as the sons of God over 
Beaumont, over Texas, over the United States, if we would take our place as the ecclesia, heaven's Congress, planet Earth, to legislate kingdom business, if we would do this, suddenly the angels are ascending for revelation and they're descending with instructions for us. It's up and down. And as I told you a while back, remember the message, the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. Yes and amen. So the angels go up to heaven and, and God tells them something. They come, they come down and say, God said, yes. We say, amen. They go back up and tell God, amen. They agree with you. And that's how things work. They come down and say, yes. They go back up to say, amen. We come into agreement with heaven. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. The angels going up, coming down, going up and coming down. When we do this, suddenly we're creating a throne zone where there's authority and we can start to transform this city. We can take ownership of it and we can rob the enemy of his treasures. How many would love to see the souls of Beaumont won to Christ? How many would love to see addictions broken? How many would love to see poverty destroyed? How many would love to see the prostitutes get liberated and freed and get off the street? How many would love to see homelessness dealt with? How many would love, listen, all of this can be done if we take the gate of the city. And we do that in here by truly praising him enthroned. We set him up on a throne. We enthrone him and he sits in ambush of our enemies. The authority of heaven is established in this room and we take it out of here to take dominion. Listen, guys, all this stuff we're dealing with right now in America, I know what racism is. It is a sin, and I have to search my heart and repent where I find it. But you've got to know this is a spiritual battle we're in. Darkness and light, and we have to deal with it in that way. As I said, we can legislate morality, but only the church can establish righteousness in the hearts of men. We have to establish it in our hearts. We need the authority of heaven. Stephen, come help me. We need this. We need the authority of heaven. Within the house of God is that gate of heaven. As the sons of God, every time we come in here and we praise him. Remember what I said last week. Ephesians chapter 6, we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus so every time that I come in here and I praise, I praise him, I'm lifting him up higher in his seat of authority. But every time I do that, he's pulling me up. I'm seated with him in authority, a place of authority. So I praise him and he lifts, I lift him up, he lifts me up. I praise him and it lifts him up, he lifts me up. I praise him, it lifts him up, it lifts me up. And each time, I lift him up, he's enthroned, authority, and he's waiting to ambush my enemy. He's looking for opportunities. Listen, I know we're waiting on God to move, but God's waiting on us. Today's the 25th anniversary of the Browns revival, June the, June the 18th, 1995. 25 years ago, this month, Browns revival. Sound came in the room exploded in that house. It ran for five years, over three million. I really don't know anymore what the real number is. Over three million people came through there. I do know a quarter of a million souls, cars filled out, miracles, churches restored, pastors restored. 
missionaries called around the world out of that one five-year moment. Powerful moment, changed things. We saw what happened in, uh, in Australia with Hillsong's church and how that that shifted the worship back years ago with Darlene and Shout to the Lord and how that church shifted worship in America and around the world. We saw it with Bethel and, and, and Johnson and Bill Johnson and how that shifted. We saw it with Toronto Church and how that, that shifted the church and Brownsville and other churches in history that have shifted, changed the landscape of the church in America and around the world out of one church, one church. And I know sometimes I talk about reaching the nation and, and people, I know some people look at me and says, what, what are you talking about? How can you do that for Beaumont? Beaumont, Texas has about 120,000 people. In 1995, Pensacola had about 70. This church will seat about 1,200. Brownsville back then, it was seat, uh, the Pew guy told me it seat around 1,000. So they're pretty close, pretty, pretty similar in size, okay, in demographic. So if, if Brownsville can, if you ever been to Redding, California, you can't hardly get there from here. You gotta fly and then take a boat and then hire a horse or a donkey and climb a mountain and hike in and it ain't easy to get to. But from that little bitty mountain town, they've reached around the world. And that building is smaller than this building. Listen, you, you've gotta get your mind and you gotta shift and you gotta realize God can take 120 people to rock the world. But when we enthrone him, authority is established. And suddenly, as the sons of God, we're able to step out into the community and take dominion over darkness. That's why what we do on Sunday is so important. The higher I lift him, the, the higher he pulls me up. And that's why corporately, we've got to move from spectating to participating in worship. Our worship experience has got to be life-changing. We've got to come to the house of God not to be blessed, but to bless. We've got to follow etiquette and protocol. We have to do it. So in closing, I apologize. My time is up. Americas, or excuse me, Americans are among the most stressed people in the world, and the stress level is rising. David said, if only I could fly away, I'd get away from all this. We need a reprieve. We need a reprieve. In Genesis 28, 12, the Bible says that he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven, reached to heaven. I can't bring heaven down to you, but I found a ladder in the house of God that perhaps you can climb to it. That's why I'm here today because we can climb that ladder through praise and worship we can climb that ladder. We can rise above our circumstances. We can take on an eternal perspective. God sees things differently than we do, and I need to see it that way. Pandemic, flood, hurricanes, economics, war, rumors of wars, nation against nation, nation, race against race. I see that differently. I'm a son of God. I have a different perspective. That's where we need to be. And we need to be that stabilizing force in our nation where we stabilize things, where we step up and we take authority, authority over our circumstances. That out there though begins in here. We've got to learn in here to be the ecclesia, heaven's Congress, planet earth, to legislate kingdom business, 
to change, to transform, to, to make this world a better place. We have to. Thank you for listening to the Cathedral Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit icathedral.org.